And so for anyone that has no idea who you are, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm AJ Morris. I'm 26 years old. I've been in the fitness industry since 2014. And I coach primarily for a living. That's my sort of first and foremost business. And then since I started coaching, I've branched out into other sectors as well, namely known for the natural bodybuilding industry, really. That's where my primary coaching sort of role is played. And equally, that's where my other businesses have thrived from. So that's also myself as a competitor. Um, So I compete in natural bodybuilding, been competing since 2014 as a teenager and then sort of like steadily gone up the ranks. And that's something I care about a huge amount. Uh, my personal endeavors matter almost just as much, if not more than sometimes my business endeavors, because I'm very passionate about that. That's what got me going in this industry as a whole. So sure. that's something I've held on to and I will continue to hold on to for a long time. And then, yeah, I mean, outside of that, like I said, the the recent endeavors have been more so like trying to make a more, and we'll talk about them a little bit in this call, but trying to make a little bit more of an impact on the industry as a whole, trying to reach mm-hmm. more people outside of of what I can do with coaching. Because as everyone will know that listens to this podcast, coaching has a has a threshold, it has a ceiling. You're going to sure. take it up to a certain level of people before something has to be done, whether it's a degree of automation or it's a quality drop-off or whatever it is. Um, and with this, the, the sort of coaching that I do with just physique athletes, uh, it really it, it, you know, can't go down the route of heavy automation or you know dropping the quality of service. That can't happen. So yeah. my impact now is elsewhere trying to sort of do a lower cost model uh, to help people out. So yeah, that's, that's sort of a little bit of a background on myself. Yeah, that's awesome. So what, how did you get started in the beginning? Like as a teenager, did you always, like as you were growing up, you just had a passion for like being in the gym or how did, what happened? Sure. So when I was very young, I first started competing, so to speak, that was like in football and that was from the age of like six to eight. And then from the age of eight years old, Basically, as soon as I could get in a cart, um, I started racing. Okay. And that was because my dad had a huge passion for motorsport and cars. Oh, cool. And so growing up, I was always watching F1, et cetera. And like the books I'd be read at night would be like F1 related, <laughs> It'd be that kind of drill. So um, for, for me and my dad, that was something very special. And that lasted for uh, from the age of, of eight until I was about 15, 16 years old. And that was amazing. I got to travel all across the country to Italy as well for European championships. So I was kind of like thrown into quite a high level of competition in what is kind of similar to bodybuilding in the sense that when you're out on track, like you're the only person that can control the outcome, but then off the track, there's a bunch of other people that are going to be helping you. And that's kind of very similar to bodybuilding. You know, your coach will guide you, but on the day you're the person doing the do, you know, in the gym or on stage, et cetera. So it taught me a lot and it was very, had a heavy cross transfer into like my sort of desire to chase down goals and be driven and be consistent, dedicated. So that was great. But then obviously like any, any sport really like, like motorsport, it's like horse riding. It's it's a lot of these things like very, very financially driven. So Mm. to progress, you have to have, uh, you know, a lot of financial backing through sponsorship or, um, you know, either your family funding you, et cetera. And for most of my career, um, albeit a few good sponsors came along later, my dad was the the primary fund of of my motorsport endeavors. So there was a point where that kind of, it reached a point where I knew I wasn't going to be able to progress 
significantly further without more funding. So I made the choice to sort of come away from that and and move into to the bodybuilding side of things, which had already been growing because I was really invested in the fitness side of of the motorsport. So I was I was already in the gym more than most people would be starting to to train with weights because I knew that that would cross transfer into you know what I could do on track and you know last so what- my, my performance lasting longer on track, etc. Sorry, go ahead. No, what age were you then? So when you transitioned from karting into getting in the gym more, what age were you then? About 15, 16 years old at that point. Okay. So it was quite a short transition as well because I'd already been like weight training for the, the the motorsport side of things for a good couple of years. So I, I pretty much started when I was like weight training. I was like 14, 15. And I really took it seriously when I was about 16. Um, and then I did my first show when I was 18 years old. Um, so it was a short, it was a short transition and yeah, I mean, that was mainly sort of what got me into it was the transition from motorsport into, into bodybuilding. So that kind of gave you almost like a framework of just how to be disciplined, how to like structure yourself, like to set goals for yourself so that you could then carry that over into your bodybuilding career. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that a lot, you know, it's rare that happens with motorsport. I've seen a few guys actually that I used to to race with like come across into bodybuilding but it's, it's very rare it's you know like yeah. a lot of people are coming from you know, rugby or football or things like that so um but it's, it allows a really really good crossover that's for sure and did you find when you got in the gym at that young age did you respond really well just naturally to things that you were doing and then that pushed you to keep going further or did you did it just require hell-bent like hard work to get to where you wanted to be yeah, it's an interesting one because I I can't say I really remember vividly. I know for sure that I wasn't a hyper responder because right. there was a bunch of us that used to go to the gym together after school and there were a lot of boys that were getting quicker uh, quicker progress than I was and were visually, you know, growing at a pace that, you know, clear to see that they had, you know, good genetic potential. I, I definitely had, I'd say, semi-decent genetic response, but... I was from the get-go one of the people that would always be there. So they might miss a few sessions, but I'd be there when they weren't there. And I kind of always got like a slight sadistic satisfaction out of that, that I was doing more than them or being more consistent. And then eventually they drop off or stop going completely. And uh, and that's where I'd make more strides and consistent steps forwards, especially as we got to the ages where we could go out, we could go drinking I was already sure. far too far too invested in in bodybuilding that uh, I, I just I said I said no to a lot of it. Um, which in hindsight, I know one of your questions was actually about hindsight, but in hindsight, when I was younger, I think not that I'd change it because it kind of got me where I was where I am today. Yeah. But I I, def, I definitely said I was one of those people that thought that social events and going out and that was just an impossibility for me. No one told me that I could maybe go to one of those things and still make progress in my head. If I went to one, it would be like game over kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And if someone would have told you, would you have listened or just been like, no, (laughs) I think I would have been, I I was, I was pretty affirmed in my decision-making when I was younger. And I, I liked direction from people that I respected, but at that time I was mainly listening to the people that had more muscle than me <laughs> so <laughs> if so if someone that that you know had less muscle and was going out was telling me that it's all right to have balance i probably yeah, yeah. i probably wouldn't listen unfortunately <laughs> and did it 
was it like a switch in your head? You were just like, nope, not doing it. And just didn't interest you at all at that time. Yeah, pr- pretty much, pretty much. Because I, I knew that I, obviously I've seen people compete and I, I knew the dedication that it took to get to that level. And lucky enough, like I said, there was a few, even in a small, like it was a commercial gym that I started out in. There was a couple of, of really good bodybuilders in there, some of which still compete now. Um, and they were always welcoming, gave me great advice. So I, I knew what it kind of took from the get-go, which was which was fantastic to have. Because not a lot of people have that nowadays. As yeah. much as there is social media and stuff, I think that um, some people, especially in you know commercial gyms, the rise of bodybuilding gyms at the moment. If you if you're in there, and you can't really go anywhere else when you're a young sort of teenager. There's, it's unlikely that you're going to bump into a load of like quite highly you know professional or close to being professional oh. bodybuilders. So yeah, I knew what it took, and then I kind of started saying no pretty much from from the get-go there. And did you, as you were getting into all this and training and learning more about it, presumably, um, what things in particular, this always interests me, like between being natural and then being in hearts. And I think in this day and age, it's surprising the amount of people that do, and through their own choice, like decide to take any form of like performance enhancing drugs, even as a casual gym goer. Yeah. And so when you're preparing everything you need to do, is there a huge difference in the way you need to train, eat? your recovery capabilities in comparison to someone that is obviously taking performance and hearts and drugs? Yeah. So again, an interesting question. I think that the similarities between natural and assisted athletes are actually a lot closer than people think, especially within some of the, just the, the practices that we follow in terms of nutrition, the importance of, of sleep, stress management, training volume, etc. because really we're just operating on a, on a scale of individuality where we're responding to a certain situation. So, you know, an assisted athlete is going to find their recoverable volume in the gym, just like a natural athlete will find their recoverable volume in the gym. And I found that when I've been training with assisted athletes, because I have over the years that I have been training, had a lot of you know training partners that, that are assisted. I found sure. that we, you know, if, if the gym effort, if the F effort on the gym floor is relatively similar the recovery capacity and the overall work they're able to achieve within that session and then recover from and get back in for another session is actually very very similar um okay. the, the processes outside of the gym in terms of like you know contest preparation off seasons of course like things change on that front a little bit especially within some of the metrics that we track so like as a, a natural athlete a prime example is that throughout a contest prep you're highly unlikely to be mobilizing body fat unless your body weight is coming down. But with an assisted athlete, there will be phases where they hold body weight and can look drastically different through different compounds being added, et cetera. So that's something, again, I learned by having assisted training partners because my knowledge base has always been heavily invested into how can I get natural athletes the best results? Mm. And I'll always be that way. You know, I'm, I'm very confident of that that um, I'll try and learn as much as I can about the sure. assisted realm. But my opinion is that I'll learn as much as I can to advise on how people can make that step if they want to, i.e. Sure. Who, who, who can they reach out to, what to expect, what is the reality of going to the assisted side, especially for some of my female athletes, because some of them think that they can get into certain classes with very limited drugs and the reality is mm. they can't. So I have a base understanding, but outside of that the intricacies the whole prep the management of peds it's something that 
I I don't necessarily want to from my business from my business progression get sure. too 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 in depth with. Um, so there may be other intricacies that are slightly different, but I think there's actually more similarities than people expect to see. Yeah, I think that's um, like really important because your business. Do you actually have any clients that are assisted, or is everyone that comes and works with you natural? So. I have had a few athletes that are assisted and the setup has been always that they'll have someone else externally managing their PDs, managing their cycles, managing their blood work, et cetera. And I ran that with a few athletes this year. <clears throat> and at the end of the season, I said to them, look, I'm not confident in doing this again because mm -hmm. I'd like you to have someone that oversees everything. Like sure. having a group chat and going back and forth it's often too messy and mm. I'd rather the person that has a greater level of skill managing the entire spectrum of what's going on, make sure. the shots rather than me told be me, be told something, me have my opinion that's based on primarily coaching natural athletes, them have another opinion that's based upon more experience coaching assisted and then a clash occur. And I just yeah. didn't like the, uh, the, the vibe it was creating because sure. a contest prep should always be like just a fun, enjoyable process. And that's what re yields the best results. Yeah. So when that environment was kind of being cultivated, I was like, nah, I don't really want to run this, this again. So yeah, I've kind of gone down the route now of, yeah, I, I understand that that's something that I don't really want to do. The, the, the accepted sort of side is that I'm happy for people to be coached by me if they're running TRT and it's prescribed by their doctor and they sure. don't plan to go to like, super physiological levels for competition that's yep. fine i can i can more than happily coach that but as soon as they want to push it further than that i highly recommend that they outsource their coaching that's that's my that's my opinion at the moment yeah for sure and you when you're coaching people who are natural into a competition do you still monitor things like blood work like specifically for a competition because presumably like testosterone is going to be going down um yeah. there's going to be things going on on a hormonal level that you'd want to be aware of 100 the issue lies in the fact that a lot of the processes that are going to be occurring the adaptations that are negative you can't do a lot about slowing them down mm -hmm. of course you can you could to, to a degree you can make a prep uh, more manageable you can implement diet breaks refeeds but at the end of the day you know most females are going to lose their cycle most males mm -hmm. are going to be hypergonadal at the end of prep like there's not a huge amount that you can do to mitigate that. What is important is in the post prep phase, especially if we're not getting the symptoms, physical symptoms of normal physiological function returning, then we'll run blood work. Okay. Um, I think the notion of taking blood work at your worst state post competition, I don't necessarily agree with because I, I, I you almost know what you're going to see. Sure. You know, you're going to see a load of numbers that are out of range that you're going to need to improve. And that's why we have a recovery phase post contest. Sure. So if in the recovery phase, you know, we're getting less symptoms than I would imagine, um, you know, for example, libido is not coming back, cycles not returning. And it's been a, a, a time period in which I would expect those things to happen. Their blood work would be random. We'll try and fix them and get to the bottom of why, why we're not in a healthy place. But sorry during the during the prep itself it's it's rare it's rare that i take blood work but i have done it quite a few times where the response uh during the prep has not been what i would expect 
Right. And that's usually to dive a little bit deeper into, into thyroid function, et cetera, um, as opposed to testosterone, et cetera. So yeah, that's, that's when I would run blood work. And presumably, like, as we're talking through this, I'm just thinking natural versus assisted, then coming out of a competition, you're going to need longer breaks before the next competition, like to be able to fully establish recovery, because presumably you don't want to get like two months, three months post competition, you're just feeling great again. And then we're going to head straight into another prep. Yeah, this is this is where the problem lies within a lot of potentially like heavily, like heavily assisted coaches or hand, their, their whole roster is, is assisted. Let's say 90% mm -hmm. of their roster is assisted. And they take on some board, on board some natural athletes. And you'll see them just run prep to prep to prep to prep to prep. And maybe, maybe, maybe they are running blood work and maybe they are making a, a very good job of things. But the reality is like, I, I, I would honestly say there's very rare occasions in which back to back preps are, are going to be worth it for a natural athlete. Um, often the improvements are, are, are minuscule. Mm. You know, you, you, you really, if you, if you're coming back, you're coming back because you maybe didn't get lean enough. Okay. That'd be an option. And in which case, if you didn't get lean enough, maybe you're not in a so much of a physiologically bad position, so to speak. So you've recovered potentially a lot, lot quicker than someone that got truly contest lean. Sure. And yeah, I mean, if you got truly contest lean for really any class, even the figure class, like is now it's, it takes a lot of conditioning to get there. So really like figure and above and, you know, obviously any bodybuilding class, even men's physique. I'd say year between shows is is really like a whole year off season. So if you competed this year, for example, taking the whole of 2023 off is going to be putting you in in a much better spot to actually respond to the next prep. So yeah, that that is something very very different because yeah, and it's also very difficult for natural athletes to come. Like a lot of them will see assisted athletes coming out of the contest phase looking amazing because yeah. they're on a they're they're on higher calories. They're in a you know yes they're in a high stress environment so they're probably managing the recovery phase still but physiologically that they're they're, they're they're pretty good you know yeah, they're, sure. they're in a position where they can they can respond well whereas a natural athlete you're in a high stress position physiologically you're, you're in a poor spot and therefore adipose adipose tissue gain is is horrible the distribution mm. is is terrible as a byproduct so you you look significant actually sometimes significantly worse on the way up than you did on the way down and that can skew your mind completely so you've just got to realize that that's a process and once that phase is completed you'll end up recomping a little bit and things will level out and like you said if you would hop straight straight back into a prep i've seen people actually look worse you know year to year oh, wow. from doing that and that's utterly disappointing because when you put in so much effort if you're actually getting poorer year to year oh. it's just so unrewarding and how is there any way to circumvent that post contest so presumably you just need to take longer to come out of that phase to get into recovery or do you try and get someone like back to maintenance as quickly as possible yeah for sure i think the the notion of the reverse diet is pretty much a a, a tool that's been kind of pushed under the rug a little bit now which because the reverse diet typically was basically adding food very 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 gradually and you know, maybe an extra 25 carb each week, which is essentially at that point, especially if you were still pushing the end of your contest prep, you were just gradually decreasing the gap from a deficit to maintenance and maintenance to a surplus. Right. When you're finished competing, the goal is not to close that gap steadily. The goal is to close that gap immediately. So get okay. into 
ideally at least at least a solid surplus you don't want to be maintaining so bridging the gap initially is is something that i i definitely am, am a big favor of and the reality is i i favor getting on really around about anywhere between seven and a half and ten percent of your stage weight on relatively efficiently um, and that will happen that will happen by a lot of people end up having some foods that they've been craving etc obviously within a controlled environment um, we get up calories pretty efficiently and like i said so for example someone myself 150-ish pounds stage weight might look to over the first three to four weeks of recovering post-show get on about 15 pounds of body weight um okay. and, and and that will that will look initially not so good but as you level it off and as you start to enter a, sl a much slower rate of gain and your your obviously your food choices remain pretty consistent you have less of these sodium and water weight balance fluctuations you level off and then you end up looking a little tighter a little tidier and you enter your actual off season you start to grow the issue is where is when people put on that first 10 percent or seven and a half percent whatever you want to call it they freak out because it looks bad and they've, all they've seen so far in the diet is a shredded version of themselves. If sure. it's their first time that competing, their their actual understanding of what is lean is completely skewed. Yeah. So then a lot of people, if they haven't got the guidance, they try and rein it back in. So they try and almost drop calories again and think that they need to tidy up before they move forwards. And then it becomes often people's off seasons is just a horrible circle of trying to gain some weight not liking it and trying to then pull off weight and you end up having a timeline that really just doesn't doesn't make sense at all i mean you're not you're never in an environment where you can really put on some new tissue um, and equally recover from the prep so you're just sort of like yo-yoing up and down whereas really you need that time to just let it let the fat come on if it has to but just get back to a physiological state that's like balance and then work from there like on what you're going to do next yeah absolutely it's the it's the phase that you've got to appreciate that it's not necessarily the most fun but i mean i, I take that back it's it's fun if you flip it on its on its head and you focus on all of the stuff that maybe was taking a hit during the prep so for example on the gym floor mm. you're gonna feel tired you know lifts are potentially going to be dropping off a little bit you're not going to feel as strong or as powerful and in that post-contest window, yes, there'll be a phase of you running probably lower volume sessions to get your body used to training at a, a higher degree of progression. You're going to be putting more load on the bar, slowly tapering up that volume. But when you're, you are recovered and you're ready to go, you can start to full send sessions again and feel really good. And that's something that if you focus on that side of things, focus on your logbook numbers going up and, and the performance aspect, it can make that window of time a lot more enjoyable. Sure. How long have you been coaching for now in total? So I started coaching my first ever athlete in 2015. So okay. yeah, in 2025, it will be pretty much a decade of, of coaching. Like physique how, did you, how did Sorry, you get into mate. that? Yeah. So essentially I, I started with sharing my own journey. So then as a result of sharing my own journey, I got approached by a mate of mine in the gym that wanted to do his first show and he was like we were kind of like on and off training partners right and i initially just said to him look like uh, you know i referred him to the coach that i had in 2014 basically i said okay. uh, i said i i'm not i'm i mean in 2014 2014 2015 even like early 2015 
I, there wasn't a day there wasn't a day that passed that i did not consume bodybuilding content yeah. every I, every single podcast every single book every single forum i just got on everything and yeah. probably immersed myself in almost too much sure but but I, I i i learned as much as i could i absorbed it like a sponge and i i was very knowledgeable at that point i was very passionate as well about it um but again i didn't just didn't have that confidence yeah. so I, I referred him away and then i remember him coming in for a session a couple of weeks later and he was like so we're starting prep next week and i'm not going with that other coach you have to coach me otherwise i'm not going to do it <laughs> and i was like <laughs> bloody hell i was like okay right <laughs> fine and um so yeah, Marcus, Marcus, my, my first ever client, one of my, one of my closest mates at the time. And, uh, I, and I helped him all the way to his first show. He ended up qualifying for a, for a British final. He did the British final as a junior. He won the British championships as a junior, wow. went to a world championships with the WNBF at the time. And yeah, I mean, it just kind of, it, it kind of spiraled from there really, because, and I can remember it to this day, a lot of people like when he told people that I was coaching him, and I was like this 19 year old kid <laughs> just um, walking around with a made by Morris t-shirt on there are people <laughs> like, who the hell is this like kid? Like, he's just a kid. Like, what does he know about bodybuilding? Yeah. And um, this is something that actually I really try and help my younger clients with because, and it's something that I've really instilled within Loz, my partner as well. Um, Cause she started coaching very young. Give me a lot of people that are going to give you like hate. You know, there's yeah. going to be a lot of older people that think they know a lot more than you. Um, and maybe some of them do, but everyone's got to start at some point. And, you know, I think confidence was the biggest thing that I lacked. And I'm just so thankful that at that moment I had a friend that just had trust. He had a mm. lot of trust in me. He, he'd heard me talk about a variety of topics in our sessions. Whenever he asked a question, I could pretty much answer it. And if I couldn't answer, I'd go and find out. Um, and you know that that was really it for me and it sparked from there um at that point i was still working as just like a kind of on the desk in the gym alongside having like a few online clients okay. only one competitor which was marcus and then um and then it spiraled from there his uh his his partner uh, also prepped with me and i started personal training in a semi-private studio which is the performance project. I don't know whether you have heard of that or not, Mark. Maybe you did. I haven't. No, um, I didn't. But yeah, it was like um, Harry Ranson, Jerome Bowles. They were running that uh, studio down in uh, near Brighton. Okay. With teeth. So um, I started, I started working there and those guys were extremely helpful for me. And Harry Ranson at the time was um, building his, his kind of like online base Right. So I was like, asking him a ton of questions about like what he was doing with check-ins and, you know, this was back in like 20, again, 2015 when there wasn't like, there's nowhere near the landscape that there is now. And sure. very few, very few online coaches were using much more than email and WhatsApp. And Harry showed me like, he was like, right, I record my check-ins with screencast and I get my clients to do this and do that. It was kind of, for me at the time, cause I didn't know a lot. He seemed to me like he was ahead of the time. So yeah, sure. I grasped hold of as much as I could and really made my coaching as personalized as possible and started just building a relationship with a lot of people. Um, and then from there, it kind of just like stepped up, stepped up, stepped up, um, eventually leaving that sort of uh, semi-private for personal training in, in 2016 and just going 
fully online. Um, and since then, it's been about coaching up until probably 2017, 2018 was a mixture of general pop and and physique athletes. And now it's pretty much 95% physique athletes with still some general pop in there that are, you know, either long-term clients I've had for ages. I mean, like years, like sure. three, four years, five years working with some people um that are just like you know really close friends of mine i wouldn't ever want to see them not be coached by me yeah, yeah. if possible um and then outside of that it's, it's like i said it's you know mainly physique athletes and i'm getting to a level now where a lot of them are either turning pro or wanting to be pro or a pro already and that's a goal that i set myself from literally the get-go is like, i really want to be working with top of the tree in terms of natural bodybuilding and, and that's where i want to be in the future so yeah, that's kind of how it, how it spiraled. And did you know, so you always had that aspiration from day one when you started coaching, like that's where you want to be. That's who you want to be working with. Day one, my inspirations at the time were Cliff Wilson, Alberto Nunes, all the three gen, three DMJ lot. And uh, yeah, they didn't have a clue who I was. You know, like I was, I was yeah, back in 2014, 15, I was this guy listening to every three DMJ podcast, every yeah. single one of them. And now, like, for example, we just got back from the WMBF world's the biggest like natural show pretty much in the, um, in, in the world really. And, uh, I was sitting in the audience and Nunez would be like, Hey, AJ, <laughs> and then like Eric and, um, and Brad and all of them would come over and, and like, they know who I am now. Um, so, and that's like the coolest thing ever. I still like get shocked at moments like that and I'm yeah. able to like shake Cliff's hand and he knows who I am um so like bits bits like that they kind of set you back a bit as much as every day is like okay just get up work 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 be consistent those moments make you realize oh, shit i've actually come like quite a long way um yeah. so yeah and any coaches that listen to this as well if you you know look up to someone or you want to be at the level of a coach then just absorb as much as you can from them and then at some point you're probably going to be in exactly the same spectrum as them um you know doing very similar bits and did you ever get uh, a mentor at any stage through building your business so that's yeah that's an interesting one because i've never really like i wouldn't say i've had a direct mentor where i've like you know paid someone for a service but i've had so many people that i've had chats with or i've inquired with or i've been close friends with or i've just been that person that sits in the background of posts that they'll put up or you know information that will relay you know sure. and and absorb as much as i can i've always been someone that kind of like i haven't unless i've been in person with people i don't ask a lot of questions um yeah. i kind of just sit back and try and absorb as much as i can because often you'll find if you sit back and you absorb information a lot of the questions get answered for you you yeah. know they're kind of they're kind of there if you if you're willing to like search for them a little bit so I've done a lot of that and yeah, I mean, the, the business was growing so well with the model that I had that I, I, I'd like to say, I'd like to say I'm lucky, but I'm not lucky. I, I worked really, really hard and I found mm. strategies that, that worked well. And I just kind of stuck with them because they've never really changed, you know, putting out consistent, valuable content and being a person who cares and is always yeah. available to give time back to the people that are investing in you that's always worked. Um, and yeah, so I've never really felt the need to reach out to a direct mentor, but there's definitely been 
a lot of people that have either inspired me or helped me or given me a level of confidence along the way that has really, really helped. So what do you think, other than like putting out valuable content, being authentic, being yourself, um, what other things helped you, do you think, like go from where you were to where you are today? I think that initial drive that I had, I yeah. had a vision. I had something very clear in my head where I wanted to get to. And as soon as I gave myself, I allowed myself to be confident, then it, it started to fly. Um, I was always throughout that whole process as well, very, very self-aware. Okay. So anything that like, if I lost a client, I wouldn't just say, oh, I've lost a client. Damn, you know, that's less money. Yeah, I'd figure out why. I'd find out who they'd gone to or if they were doing it on their own. I was like, what can I do to be better? You know, I'd, yeah. and I'd, I'd fix that solution. I'd learn more or I'd improve a process or I'd think about what what I could do better in terms of me, me as a person, me as a coach. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that constant pursuit of like self-development, but that comes from being self-aware, you know, fixing any issue oh. that you can feel like you can fix. So I think, I think honestly, that's, 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 that's really, that's really the, the main crux of it. And I've never put heavy pressure on myself to, um, you know, fit a mold or, you know, yeah. follow a crazy trend or anything like that. Um, if, if something, if, if I have belief in something, uh, I will, I will stick, I will stick with that. I'll be open-minded of course, to, to learn different approaches and strategies on, on the coaching side of things. But uh, if if something's working for me, I'll have a true, true belief in that and then run that for as long as I can. And it sounds like from what you've just said, that retention is a huge part of your business, like making sure that that if you don't want people to leave. And I often try and get this across to people that it's much easier to keep someone on your roster than it is to bring someone new in. To bring someone new in takes a lot of time and effort. It costs you a lot of money. If you can keep the people you already have, then that's a much better business decision to make couldn't agree more couldn't agree more with that i think that you know the pride the, the pride it gives you and the, the passion it gives you for for helping that person as well is just is just awesome if you have you know long-term retention over many years now you know no one's locked into a, a coach sure. people can people can try different things but and one of the thing that one of the things that i've always tried to be aware of as a coach is that if people are wanting to try different things why can't they try them with me you know, why can't I be open-minded enough to think, right, if someone is expressing to me that there there is desires to try a different approach and I know that that approach is still going to get them to their goals, it might just get them there in a different way, I can do that. You know, they don't have yeah. to go elsewhere for, for that to happen. Um, and this is where discussions need to be had and conversations need, need to be had. And, you know, you always need to be like kind of an open door for your clients rather than feeling like you're almost like a closed door it's very difficult to communicate with the coach you know i've always tried to make it clear that you know clients if they need me they can they can reach out to me you know and if they've got something sure. that they need to bring up with me even if it feels like it's a little awkward for them to mention you know if they're not happy with something or they want something to be improved i want them to say that rather than yeah. just sending me a message saying look i've had a thought i'm going to go elsewhere I'd rather have a discussion and be like, right, you know, that's that's actually communicate and try and try and get to the bottom of what we can fix here. Is that's the only way that any of us can get better, right? Is to have those open conversations uh -huh. and then to take constructive feedback and then to just improve upon what you're doing. Was there ever anything in 
from what you've been doing, was there ever anything that you found difficult or that you really struggled in business to overcome? <sighs> Good question. I saw this one in your questions and I thought, <laughs> what was the, what was the main thing that I, I struggled with? I think, so I, I went through a long, uh, a fairly long period of time where I was single and I was working really hard on, on, on a growth phase with the business. Mm. And it sounds a little bit like emotional, but I, I definitely struggled with a, a period of time of being quite lonely and feeling right. quite lonely in, in my, in my journey because it would literally be right wake work train work sleep repeat for a, a long period of time and i only realized once i got into a relationship that was like really good and supported my like work and business and mm. actually encouraged a degree of balance that was healthy that actually just allowed me to take care of myself more than anything else like not crazy balance to the point where taking loads of days off or anything like that. It's not like that, but you know, having time to actually sleep properly and chill out and relax and come away from work. It made me a better coach. It yeah. allowed me to manage stress better. It allowed me to make more critical decisions, be less irritable. You know, all of these things that you get when you're essentially just like all gas, no brakes. Mm. Um, and, I think there is a phase where if you really want to build something great, you have to be able to handle the pressures of going like full gas pedal down. You have to be able, you have to be able to do that. And I'm sure you've experienced that. And a lot of other very successful people have had phases where you are going at hundred mile an hour and you have to try and be in that moment and, and make it work. But yeah, I think that that was probably like the only struggle I had because I had a few periods of like definitely dealing with, a, a good amount of like built up anxiety and pressure that I'd built up on myself to be something, to be a person, to be, you know, who I wanted yeah. to be. And if I wasn't getting there, it was like a failed day, you know? So I think a lot of that, that stemmed from, again, this like desire to be kind of, you know, closer to where I am now. I don't think I'm, I'm where I want to be yet, you know, but closer to where I am now, maybe two years ago. So yeah, my advice is, Ah, it's a difficult one because there'll be a lot of younger coaches that will be hammering it right now. And I'd say, keep hammering it if you can handle it. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, be, be open-minded to opportunities which will come up, which will maybe allow you to come off the gas pedal when the time is right. Mm. So that's, that's what I would say for, for that one. Interesting. And it's, there's a guy I know who is in the Navy. I'm pretty sure it's him that said it. And he uses the analogy of you have to put your gas mask on first before helping everyone else. Yeah. And, him saying that really resonated with me. I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so I found that for me in business, I found that doing like sprints works really well. So I'll have like three or four weeks. I know like for three or four weeks, I'm going to sleep for four or five hours. I'm going to like continue to do nothing apart from work and train and eat. And yeah. then at the end of that three or four weeks, I'll try and plan to do something at least for a few days just to like detach a little bit, just take some time for myself, reset and then come back in. And it ultimately just makes you a better leader, a better person. Yeah, agreed. Now, I, I like that strategy as well. And luckily enough, with the way that a bodybuilding season works for me at the moment, especially with the natural shows, there is a pretty clear June to November stint where it's aggressive. You know, it's it's, it's most weekends traveling. It's it's constant communication with whatever group of athletes is being on is going on stage. It's emotional because there's results 
related mm. to the athlete and related to a process that you've put years of work into. So that period of time is full on. So like for me now, it's a little bit off the gas pedal. And funnily enough, another thing that I've struggled is, is I don't know whether you struggle with this as well, but like after those stints, I feel almost like a slight bit of guilt creeping in, in the first week of coming off the gas pedal. Cause I'm yep. like, where is, where is all of this more work that I should be doing? And I, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I catch myself trying to find more because yeah. there's always more you can do. Right. But yeah, trying yeah. to find more when I'm not meant to be finding more. So that's something that I must admit again, self-awareness that I, I'm still definitely trying to work on. Yeah, me too. My, like, if we ever go away on holiday anywhere, because that's normally when we're planning to do these things. So, for example, after next week, we're going away. Mm. And for the first three days of going away, I will be a complete pain in the ass because <laughs> I will, I won't quite have made that adjustment yet. And I'll still be like checking my phone every two minutes, thinking that I need to do something. And yes. like, the world's that's not going to end. <laughs> that's, that's literally me. It's like, look, even I remember when we were away in America, like, it was after the final shows and um i was convinced that my data had died on my phone because i had no whatsapps and i was like right. refreshing it refreshing <laughs> it so i'm used to seeing a good chunk come through and there was yeah. just no messages though my data was fine but i was just like searching for things that just weren't there yeah um no, i get it totally yeah. so if you final question for you if you tomorrow because we already touched on like what you would do when you when you're younger like going back but if yep. tomorrow, so this is slightly different. If tomorrow your social media just stopped working, Instagram gone, Facebook gone, TikTok, everything, yep. and your email list, if you have one, that's gone as well. What would you do tomorrow to set yourself back up? <sighs> that's a, a crazy question. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable with something like that happening based off the fact that I feel like I've got a lot of my base of followers and people who respect me and obviously clients built up if it had happened a long time ago i'd have really been at a loss as to what to do because i was in mm. a phase where that was essential essential for my continual growth so i mean i'd i'd, I'd still get straight into my my like work for the day with the people that i've got to serve and then i literally just have to start from from the bottom up with with social media i just restart it and go again and i feel like it would grow probably quite quickly and gain back a lot of people that uh, would want to still follow my my stuff but mm. uh yeah i mean it, it would be frustrating losing something like that but i don't think that i think the people that really like want to follow you and are the people that would potentially invest in your products or services are the ones that would come immediately back you know that yeah. if you know social media disappeared that they'd, they'd want to be the first ones to follow you and keep you know in touch in touch with what you were doing so i, I don't think i'd I, i'd be at a, a huge loss i mean i would definitely be extremely stressed but uh yeah, yeah that, that's probably what i'd do i'd just restart it and uh, get back to the work that i actually needed to needed to do on that day awesome well thank you so much man i really appreciate you taking the time where can people find out more about you so best place to go is probably my Instagram. So AJ Morris underscore. Um, that's a good place to, to follow sort of my like day-to-day -day posts, etc. And then on top of that, I've got my membership platform, which is Natural Bodybuilding Worldwide, which is a great hub for natural bodybuilders to be a part of the community. Uh, there's plenty of people, members logging their progress in the forum section. 
and then there's a, a host of, of video content very similar to what you will have seen on like train by jp etc but with a bunch of, of natural athletes on board and we're growing the team again for for 2023 um so that's available and then yeah my youtube which has got content all the way back to 2015 again so if you want to see sort of what it was like when i was putting out a ton of youtube based content even very basic content um you know scroll through that because you know i think it's it's quite easy for people to sometimes look and think oh okay you know started a you know a subscription site or a natural bodybuilding worldwide or whatever and you know doesn't give out free content anymore there's hours and hours and hours yeah. of free content on youtube if, if you want to to go and find it you know and if you're not in a financial position to be a part of the site you don't want to youtube's the place to go um and i'll, I'll always be putting out free content there in, in the future as well we're starting a, a new series in the new year Awesome. And we'll put the links down below in the videos for everyone. Thanks so much, AJ. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Speak soon.